0: Part Two of Rappuccini's Daughter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett Downey. Rappuccini's Daughter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Part Two. For many days after this incident, the young man avoided the window that looked into Dr. Rappuccini's garden. As if something ugly and monstrous would have blasted his eyesight had he been betrayed into a glance. He felt conscious of having put himself to a certain extent within the influence of an unintelligible power by the communication which he had opened with Beatrice. The wisest course would have been, if his heart were in any real danger, to quit his lodgings and Padua itself at once. The next wiser, to have accustomed himself as far as possible to the familiar and daylight view of Beatrice, thus bringing her rigidly and systematically within the limits of ordinary experience. Least of all, while avoiding her sight, should Giovanni have remained so near this extraordinary being, that the proximity and possibility even of intercourse should give a kind of substance and reality to the wild vagaries which his imagination ran riot continually in producing. Guiscanti had not a deep heart or at all events its depths were not sounded now, but he had a quick fancy and an ardent southern temperament which rose every instant to a higher fever pitch. Whether or no Beatrice possessed those terrible attributes, that fatal breath, the affinity with those so beautiful and deadly flowers, which were indicated by what Giovanni had witnessed, she had at least instilled a fierce and subtle poison into his system. It was not love— although her rich beauty was a madness to him, nor horror, even while he fancied her spirit to be imbued with the same baneful essence that seemed to pervade her physical frame, but a wild offspring of both love and horror that had each parent in it, and burned like one and shivered like the other. Giovanni knew not what to dread, still less did he know what to hope, yet hope and dread kept a continual warfare in his breast alternately vanquishing one another and starting up afresh to renew the contest blessed are all simple emotions be they dark or bright it is the lurid intermixture of the two that produces the illuminating blaze of the infernal regions sometimes he endeavored to assuage the fever of his spirit by a rapid walk through the streets of padua or beyond its gates his footsteps kept time with the throbbings of his brain so that the walk was apt to accelerate itself to a race. One day he found himself arrested. His arm was seized by a portly personage who had turned back on recognizing the young man and expended much breath in overtaking him. "'Signor Giovanni, stay, my young friend,' cried he. "'Have you forgotten me?' "'That might well be the case were I as much altered as yourself.' It was Baglione, whom Giovanni had avoided ever since their first meeting, from a doubt that the professor's sagacity would look too deeply into his secrets. Endeavoring to recover himself, he stared forth wildly from his inner world into the outer one, and spoke like a man in a dream. Yes, I am Giovanni Guiscanti. You are Professor Pietro Baglioni. Now let me pass. Not yet, not yet, Signor Giovanni Guiscanti, said the professor, smiling, but at the same time scrutinizing the youth with an earnest glance. What did I grow up side by side with your father and shall his son pass me like a stranger in these old streets of Padua stand still signor giovanni for we must have a word or two before we part speedily then most worshipful professor speedily said giovanni with feverish impatience does not your worship see that i am in haste now while he was speaking there came a man in black along the street stooping and moving feebly like a person in inferior health. His face was all overspread with the most sickly and sallow hue, but yet so pervaded with an expression of piercing and active intellect that an observer might easily have overlooked the merely physical attributes and have seen only this wonderful energy. As he passed, this person exchanged a cold and distant salutation with Baglioni, but fixed his eyes upon Giovanni with an intentness "'that seemed to bring out whatever was within him worthy of notice. "'Nevertheless, there was a peculiar quietness in the look, "'as if taking merely a speculative, not a human interest, in the young man. "'It is Dr. Rappaccini,' whispered the professor, when the stranger had passed. "'Has he ever seen your face before?' "'Not that I know,' answered Giovanni, starting at the name. "'He has seen you. He must have seen you,' said Baglioni hastily. FOR SOME PURPOSE OR OTHER, THIS MAN OF SCIENCE IS MAKING A STUDY OF YOU. I KNOW THAT LOOK OF HIS. IT IS THE SAME THAT COLDLY ILLUMINATES HIS FACE, AS HE BENDS OVER A BIRD, A MOUSE, OR A BUTTERFLY, WHICH, IN PURSUANCE OF SOME EXPERIMENT, HE HAS KILLED BY THE PERFUME OF A FLOWER, A LOOK AS DEEP AS NATURE ITSELF, BUT WITHOUT NATURE'S WARMTH OF LOVE. Signor GIOVANNI, I WILL STAKE MY LIFE UPON IT. YOU ARE THE SUBJECT OF ONE OF RAPPACHINI'S EXPERIMENTS. Will you make a fool of me? cried Giovanni passionately. That, signor professor, were an untoward experiment. Patience, patience, replied the imperturbable professor. I tell thee, my poor Giovanni, that Rappaccini has a scientific interest in thee. Thou hast fallen into fearful hands, and the signor Beatrice, what part does she act in this mystery? But Guisconti, finding Baglioni's pertinacity intolerable, here broke away and was gone before the professor could again seize his arm. He looked after the young man intently and shook his head. "'This must not be,' said Baglioni to himself. "'The youth is the son of my old friend, and shall not come to any harm from which the arcana of medical science can preserve him. Besides, it is too insufferable an impertinence in Rappuccini thus to snatch the lad out of my own hands, as I may say, and make use of him for his infernal experiments. This daughter of his, it shall be looked to. Perchance, most learned Rappuccini, I may foil you where you little dream of it. Meanwhile Giovanni had pursued a circuitous route, and at length found himself at the door of his lodgings. As he crossed the threshold he was met by old Lizabetta, who smirked and smiled, and was evidently desirous to attract his attention. Vainly, however, as the ebullition of his feelings had momentarily subsided into a cold and dull vacuity, he turned his eyes full upon the withered face that was puckering itself into a smile, but seemed to behold it not. The old dame, therefore, laid her grasp upon his cloak. Seor!' Señor!' whispered she, still with a smile over the whole breadth of her visage, so that it looked not unlike a grotesque carving in wood, darkened by centuries. "'Listen, signor, there is a private entrance into the garden.' "'What do you say?' exclaimed Giovanni, turning quickly about, as if an inanimate thing should start into feverish life. "'A private entrance into Dr. Rappaccini's garden?' "'Hush, hush, not so loud,' whispered Lisabetta, putting her hand over his mouth. "'Yes, into the worshipful doctor's garden.' "'where you may see all his fine shrubbery. "'Many a young man in Padua would give gold "'to be admitted among those flowers.' "'Giovanni put a piece of gold into her hand. "'Show me the way,' said he. "'A surmise, probably excited by his conversation with Baglioni, "'crossed his mind that this interposition of old Lizabetta "'might perchance be connected with the intrigue, "'whatever were its nature.' in which the professor seemed to suppose that Dr. Rappaccini was involving him. But such a suspicion, though it disturbed Giovanni, was inadequate to restrain him. The instant he was aware of the possibility of approaching Beatrice, it seemed an absolute necessity of his existence to do so. It mattered not whether she were angel or demon. He was irrevocably within her sphere, and must obey the law that whirled him onward, in ever-lessening circles, "'towards a result which he did not attempt to foreshadow. "'And yet, strange to say, "'there came across him a sudden doubt "'whether this intense interest on his part "'were not delusory, "'whether it were really of so deep and positive a nature "'as to justify him in now thrusting himself "'into an incalculable position, "'whether it were not merely the fantasy "'of a young man's brain, "'only slightly, or not at all, "'connected with his heart. "'He paused,' "'hesitated, turned half about, but again went on. "'His withered guide led him along several obscure passages "'and finally undid a door, through which, as it was opened, "'there came the sight and sound of rustling leaves, "'with the broken sunshine glimmering among them. "'Giovanni stepped forth, and forcing himself "'through the entanglement of a shrub "'that wreathed its tendrils over the hidden entrance, "'he stood beneath his own window.' in the open area of Dr. Rappaccini's garden. How often is it the case that, when impossibilities have come to pass, and dreams have condensed their misty substance into tangible realities, we find ourselves calm and even coldly self-possessed amid circumstances which it would have been a delirium of joy or agony to anticipate. Fate delights to thwart us thus. Passion will choose his own time to rush upon the scene, and lingers sluggishly behind WHEN AN APPROPRIATE ADJUSTMENT OF EVENTS WOULD SEEM TO SUMMON HIS APPEARANCE. SO WAS IT NOW WITH GIOVANNI. DAY AFTER DAY HIS PULSES HAD THROBBED WITH FEVERISH BLOOD AT THE IMPROBABLE IDEA OF AN INTERVIEW WITH BEATRICE, AND OF STANDING WITH HER, FACE TO FACE, IN THIS VERY GARDEN, BASKING IN THE ORIENTAL SUNSHINE OF HER BEAUTY, AND SNATCHING FROM HER FULL GAZE THE MYSTERY WHICH HE DEEMED THE RIDDLE OF HIS OWN EXISTENCE but now there was a singular and untimely equanimity within his breast. He threw a glance around the garden to discover if Beatrice or her father were present, and, perceiving that he was alone, began a critical observation of the plants. The aspect of one and all of them dissatisfied him. Their gorgeousness seemed fierce, passionate, and even unnatural. There was hardly an individual shrub which a wanderer, straying by himself through a forest, would not have been startled to find growing wild, as if an unearthly face had glared at him out of the thicket. Several also would have shocked a delicate instinct by an appearance of artificialness, indicating that there had been such commixture, and, as it were, a dauntry of various vegetable species, that the production was no longer of God's making, but the monstrous offspring of man's depraved fancy, glowing with only an evil mockery of beauty. They were probably the result of experiment, which, in one or two cases, had succeeded in mingling plants individually lovely into a compound possessing the questionable and ominous character that distinguished the whole growth of the garden. In fine, Giovanni recognized but two or three plants in the collection, and those of a kind that he knew well to be poisonous. While busy with these contemplations, he heard the rustling of a silken garment, and turning, beheld Beatrice emerging from beneath the sculptured portal. Giovanni had not considered with himself what should be his deportment, whether he should apologize for his intrusion into the garden, or assume that he was there with the privity, at least, if not by the desire, of Dr. Rappaccini or his daughter. But Beatrice's manner placed him at his ease, though leaving him still in doubt by what agency he had gained admittance. She came lightly along the path, and met him near the broken fountain. There was surprise in her face, but brightened by a simple and kind expression of pleasure.
1: You are a connoisseur in flowers, Signor,
0: said Beatrice, with a smile, alluding to the bouquet which he had flung her from the window.
1: It is no marvel, therefore, if the sight of my father's rare collection has tempted you to take a nearer view. If he were here, he could tell you many strange and interesting facts as to the nature and habits of these shrubs, for he has spent a lifetime in such studies, and this garden is his world.
0: And yourself, lady, observed Giovanni, if fame says true, you, likewise, are deeply skilled in the virtues indicated by these rich blossoms and these spicy perfumes. Would you deign to be my instructress? I should prove an apter scholar than under Signor Rappaccini himself.
1: Are there such idle rumors?
0: (laughs) Asked Beatrice, with the music of a pleasant laugh.
1: Do people say I am skilled in my father's science of plants? What a jest is there! No, though I have grown up among these flowers, I know no more of them than their hues and perfume. And sometimes, methinks, I would fain rid myself of even that small knowledge. There are many flowers here, and those not the least brilliant that shock and offend me when they meet my eye. But pray, Signor, Do not believe these stories about my science? Believe nothing of me save what you see with your own eyes.
0: And must I believe all that I have seen with my own eyes? Asked Giovanni pointedly, while the recollection of former scenes made him shrink. No, Signora, you demand too little of me. Bid me believe nothing save what comes from your own lips. It would appear that Beatrice understood him. There came a deep flush to her cheek, but she looked full into Giovanni's eyes, and responded to his gaze of uneasy suspicion with a queen-like haughtiness.
1: "'I do so bid you, Signor,'
0: she replied,
1: "'forget whatever you may have fancied in regard to me. If true to the outward senses, still it may be false in its essence. But the words of Beatrice Rappaccini's lips are true from the heart outward. Those you may believe.'"
0: A fervor glowed in her whole aspect, and beamed upon Giovanni's consciousness like the light of truth itself. But while she spoke, there was a fragrance in the atmosphere around her, rich and delightful, though evanescent, yet which the young man, from an indefinable reluctance, scarcely dared to draw into his lungs. It might be the odor of the flowers. Could it be Beatrice's breath, which thus embalmed her words with a strange richness, as if by steeping them in her heart? A faintness passed like a shadow over Giovanni and flitted away. He seemed to gaze through the beautiful girl's eyes into her transparent soul and felt no more doubt or fear. The tinge of passion that had colored Beatrice's manner vanished. She became gay and appeared to derive a pure delight from her communion with the youth, not unlike what the maiden of a lonely island might have felt conversing with a voyager from the civilized world. Evidently, her experience of life had been confined within the limits of that garden. She talked now about matters as simple as the daylight or summer clouds, and now asked questions in reference to the city or Giovanni's distant home, his friends, his mother, and his sisters, questions indicating such seclusion and such lack of familiarity with modes and forms that Giovanni responded as if to an infant. Her spirit gushed out before him like a fresh rill, THAT WAS JUST CATCHING ITS FIRST GLIMPSE OF THE SUNLIGHT, AND WONDERING AT THE REFLECTIONS OF EARTH AND SKY WHICH WERE FLUNG INTO ITS BOSOM. THERE CAME THOUGHTS, TOO, FROM A DEEP SOURCE, AND FANTASIES OF A GEM-LIKE BRILLIANCY, AS IF DIAMONDS AND RUBIES SPARKLED UPWARD AMONG THE BUBBLES OF THE FOUNTAIN. EVER AND ANON THERE GLEAMED ACROSS THE YOUNG MAN'S MIND A SENSE OF WONDER, THAT HE SHOULD BE WALKING SIDE BY SIDE WITH THE BEING WHO HAD SO wrought UPON HIS IMAGINATION, WHOM HE HAD IDEALIZED IN SUCH HUES OF TERROR in whom he had positively witnessed such manifestations of dreadful attributes, that he should be conversing with Beatrice like a brother, and should find her so human and so maiden-like. But such reflections were only momentary. The effect of her character was too real not to make itself familiar at once. In this free intercourse they had strayed through the garden, and now, after many turns among its avenues, were come to the shattered fountain, beside which grew the magnificent shrub with its treasury of glowing blossoms. A fragrance was diffused from it, which Giovanni recognized as identical with that which he had attributed to Beatrice's breath, but incomparably more powerful. As her eyes fell upon it, Giovanni beheld her press her hand to her bosom, as if her heart were throbbing suddenly and painfully.
1: For the first time in my life,
0: murmured she, addressing the shrub,
1: I had forgotten thee.
0: I remember, Signora, said Giovanni, that you once promised to reward me with one of these living gems for the bouquet, which I had the happy boldness to fling at your feet. Permit me now to pluck it as a memorial of this interview. He made a step towards the shrub, with extended hand, but Beatrice darted forward, uttering a shriek that went through his heart like a dagger. She caught his hand and drew it back with the whole force of her slender figure, Giovanni felt her touch thrilling through his fibers.
1: "'Touch it not!'
0: exclaimed she, in a voice of agony.
1: "'Not for thy life! It is fatal!'
0: Then, hiding her face, she fled from him and vanished beneath the sculptured portal. As Giovanni followed her with his eyes, he beheld the emaciated figure and pale intelligence of Dr. Rappaccini, who had been watching the scene, he knew not how long, within the shadow of the entrance." no sooner was Guiscanti alone in his chamber than the image of Beatrice came back to his passionate musings, invested with all the witchery that had been gathering around it ever since his first glimpse of her, and now likewise imbued with a tender warmth of girlish womanhood. She was human. Her nature was endowed with all gentle and feminine qualities. She was worthiest to be worshipped. She was capable, surely, on her part, of the height and heroism of love, those tokens, which he had hitherto considered as proofs of a frightful peculiarity in her physical and moral system, were now either forgotten, or, by the subtle sophistry of passion, transmuted into a golden crown of enchantment, rendering Beatrice the more admirable, by so much as she was the more unique. Whatever had looked ugly was now beautiful, or, if incapable of such a change, it stole away and hid itself among those shapeless half-ideas, which throng the dim region beyond the daylight of our perfect consciousness. Thus did Giovanni spend the night, nor fell asleep, until the dawn had begun to awake the slumbering flowers in Dr. Rappaccini's garden, whither his dreams doubtless led him. Up rose the sun in his due season, and flinging his beams upon the young man's eyelids, awoke him to a sense of pain. When thoroughly aroused, he became sensible of a burning and tingling agony in his hand, in his right hand, the very hand which Beatrice had grasped in her own, when he was on the point of plucking one of the gem-like flowers. On the back of that hand there was now a purple print, like that of four small fingers, and the likeness of a slender thumb upon his wrist. Oh, how stubbornly does love, or even that cunning semblance of love which flourishes in the imagination, but strikes no depth of root into the heart! How stubbornly does it hold its faith, until the moment come when it is doomed to vanish into thin mist. Giovanni wrapped a handkerchief about his hand, and wondered what evil thing had stung him, and soon forgot his pain in a reverie of Beatrice. After the first interview, a second was in the inevitable course of what we call fate. A third, a fourth, and a meeting with Beatrice in the garden was no longer an incident in Giovanni's daily life, but the whole space in which he might be said to live, for the anticipation and memory of that ecstatic hour made up the remainder, nor was it otherwise with the daughter of Rappuccini. She watched for the youth's appearance, and flew to his side with confidence as unreserved as if they had been playmates from early infancy, as if they were such playmates still. If, by any unwanted chance, he failed to come down at the appointed moment, she stood beneath the window, and sent up the rich sweetness of her tones, "'to float around him in his chamber, "'and echo and reverberate throughout his heart.
1: "'Giovanni! Giovanni! "'Why tarriest thou? Come down!'
0: "'And down he hastened into that Eden of poisonous flowers. "'But with all this intimate familiarity "'there was still a reserve in Beatrice's demeanour, "'so rigidly and invariably sustained, "'that the idea of infringing it "'scarcely occurred to his imagination. "'By all appreciable signs they loved,' They had looked love with eyes that conveyed the holy secret from the depths of one soul into the depths of the other, as if it were too sacred to be whispered by the way. They had even spoken love in those gushes of passion when their spirits darted forth in articulated breath, like tongues of long hidden flame, and yet there had been no seal of lips, no clasp of hands, nor any slightest caress, such as love claims and hallows. He had never touched one of the gleaming ringlets of her hair. Her garment, so marked was the physical barrier between them, had never been waved against him by a breeze. On the few occasions when Giovanni had seemed tempted to overstep the limit, Beatrice grew so sad, so stern, and withal wore such a look of desolate separation, shuddering at itself, that not a spoken word was requisite to repel him. At such times he was startled at the horrible suspicions that rose, monster-like, out of the caverns of his heart, and stared him in the face. His love grew thin and faint as the morning mist. His doubts alone had substance. But when Beatrice's face brightened again, after the momentary shadow, she was transformed at once from the mysterious, questionable being whom he had watched with so much awe and horror, she was now the beautiful and unsophisticated girl, whom he felt that his spirit knew with a certainty beyond all other knowledge." A considerable time had now passed since Giovanni's last meeting with Baglioni. One morning, however, he was disagreeably surprised by a visit from the professor, whom he had scarcely thought of for whole weeks, and would willingly have forgotten still longer. Given up, as he had long been, to a pervading excitement, he could tolerate no companions, except under condition of their perfect sympathy with his present state of feeling. Such sympathy was not to be expected from Professor Baglioni." THE VISITOR CHATTED CARELESSLY, FOR A FEW MOMENTS, ABOUT THE GOSSIP OF THE CITY AND THE UNIVERSITY, AND THEN TOOK UP ANOTHER TOPIC. "'I HAVE BEEN READING AN OLD CLASSIC AUTHOR LATELY,' SAID HE, "'AND MET WITH A STORY THAT STRANGELY INTERESTED ME. POSSIBLY YOU MAY REMEMBER IT. IT IS OF AN INDIAN PRINCE, WHO SENT A BEAUTIFUL WOMAN AS A PRESENT TO ALEXANDER THE GREAT. SHE WAS AS LOVELY AS THE DAWN, AND GORGEOUS AS THE SUNSET, what especially distinguished her was a certain rich perfume in her breath, richer than a garden of Persian roses. Alexander, as was natural to a youthful conqueror, fell in love at first sight with this magnificent stranger, but a certain sage physician, happening to be present, discovered a terrible secret in regard to her. "'And what was that?' asked Giovanni, turning his eyes downward to avoid those of the professor. "'That this lovely woman,' continued baglioni with emphasis had been nourished with poisons from her birth upward until her whole nature was so imbued with them that she herself had become the deadliest poison in existence poison was her element of life with that rich perfume of her breath she blasted the very air her love would have been poison her embrace death is this not a marvelous tale a childish tale answered giovanni nervously starting from his chair "'I marvel how your worship finds time to read such nonsense "'among your graver studies.' "'By the by,' said the professor, looking uneasily about him, "'what singular fragrance is this in your apartment? "'Is it the perfume of your gloves? "'It is faint, but delicious, and yet, after all, by no means agreeable. "'Were I to breathe it long, methinks, it would make me ill. "'It is like the breath of a flower, but I see no flowers in the chamber.' "'Nor are there any,' replied Giovanni, who had turned pale as the professor spoke. "'Nor, I think, is there any fragrance except in your worship's imagination. Odours, being a sort of element combined of the sensual and the spiritual, are apt to deceive us in this manner. The recollection of a perfume, the bare idea of it, may easily be mistaken for a present reality.' Ay, but my sober imagination does not often play such tricks,' said Baglioni. And were I to fancy any kind of odor, it would be that of some vile apothecary drug, wherewith my fingers are likely enough to be imbued. Our worshipful friend Rappaccini, as I have heard, tinctures his medicaments with odors richer than those of Araby. Doubtless, likewise, the fair and learned Signor Beatrice would minister to her patients with draughts as sweet as a maiden's breath. But woe to him that sips them! Giovanni's face evinced many contending emotions. The tone in which the professor alluded to the pure and lovely daughter of Rappaccini was a torture to his soul, and yet the intimation of a view of her character opposite to his own gave instantaneous distinctness to a thousand dim suspicions, which now grinned at him like so many demons. But he strove hard to quell them and to respond to Baglioni with a true lover's perfect faith. Signor Professor, said he, you were my father's friend. Perchance, too, it is your purpose to act a friendly part towards his son. I would fain feel nothing towards you, save respect and deference. But I pray to you observe, senor, that there is one subject on which we must not speak. You know not the Signora Beatrice. You cannot, therefore, estimate the wrong, the blasphemy, I may even say, that is offered to her character by a light or injurious word. Giovanni, my poor Giovanni, answered the professor with a calm expression of pity. I know this wretched girl far better than yourself. You shall hear the truth in respect to the poisoner Rappaccini, and his poisonous daughter. Yes, poisonous as she is beautiful. Listen, for even should you do violence to my gray hairs, it shall not silence me. That old fable of the Indian woman has become a truth, by the deep and deadly science of Rappaccini, and in the person of the lovely Beatrice." Giovanni groaned and hid his face. Her father, continued Baglioni, was not restrained from natural affection from offering up his child in this horrible manner as the victim of his insane zeal for science. For, let us do him justice, he is as true a man of science as ever distilled his own heart in an alembic. What, then, will be your fate? Beyond a doubt you are selected as the material of some new experiment. Perhaps the result is to be death, "'perhaps a fate more awful still. "'Rappaccini, with what he calls the interest of science before his eyes, "'will hesitate at nothing.' "'It is a dream,' muttered Giovanni to himself. "'Surely it is a dream.' "'But,' resumed the professor, "'be of good cheer, son of my friend. "'It is not yet too late for the rescue. "'Possibly we may even succeed in bringing back this miserable child "'within the limits of ordinary nature, "'from which her father's madness has estranged her.' "'Behold this little silver vase. "'It was wrought by the hands of the renowned Benvenuto Cellini, "'and is well worthy to be a love-gift to the fairest dame in Italy. "'But its contents are invaluable. "'One little sip of this antidote "'would have rendered the most virulent poisons of the Borgias innocuous. "'Doubt not that it will be as efficacious against those of Rappaccini. "'Bestow the vase and the precious liquid within it on your Beatrice, "'and hopefully await the result.' Baglione laid a small, exquisitely wrought silver file on the table, and withdrew, leaving what he had said to produce its effect upon the young man's mind. "'We will thwart Rappaccini yet,' thought he, chuckling to himself as he descended the stairs. "'But let us confess the truth of him. He is a wonderful man, a wonderful man indeed, a vile empiric, however, in his practice, and therefore not to be tolerated by those who respect the good old rules of the medical profession.'" End of Part 2 Recording by Brett Downey